Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. We recently reviewed the differences between three dependent styles or ways of interacting with partners to obtain support and validation. As we saw, neither true independence or complete self-reliance nor codependence or inappropriate dependence on a partner are healthy or sustainable. In contrast, interdependence enables an appropriate balance of self-reliance with appropriate dependence on others. In this episode, we'll further consider the benefits and the requisites for living a life of interdependence with others. Before diving in, let's recall what defines an interdependent relationship. All three dependent styles describe different approaches to combining dependence on self with dependence on others. In the case of interdependence, an individual retains autonomy and personal responsibility for decision-making and self-support, but not in the extreme way that an independent person does. The interdependent person accepts their need to reach out to others for help with needs that the interdependent person can't realistically fill for themselves. Doing so allows that person to benefit from others' specialized skills, abilities, and preferences. At the same time, the interdependent person accepts their responsibility to contribute to the support of others in an arrangement of reciprocal support. Our Western societies are strongly focused on demanding that their citizens be independent. It's basically everyone for themselves, and people, especially men, are taught not to rely on others. That view of society promotes a zero-sum approach to filling personal needs. That is certainly apparent in many or most jobs, in which one advances by defeating others in an unending competition. Needless to say, that adversarial approach to life positions others as at least potential enemies rather than allies. In such an environment, it's wise to keep one's shields up. Living life with one's back perennially to the figurative wall makes it difficult to leave oneself vulnerable, even with those we're close to. As we've noted in previous episodes, a willingness to let down one's guard with one's intimate partner is essential in connecting with that partner. Without mutual vulnerability, it's impossible to come to see and know one another clearly and honestly. Without the deep knowledge and understanding of each other by both partners, it's impossible to ascertain how well those partners are aligned in terms of personality, life goals, beliefs, etc. Without the resulting good alignment, there's a high likelihood that the relationship will prove unsatisfying or unsustainable to one or both partners. Lack of vulnerability can trigger a cascade of relationship-threatening effects. In an intimate relationship, vulnerability is important for more reasons than simply enabling partners to get to know one another well. Being willing to approach a partner with a stance of vulnerability serves as an invitation to that partner to approach and engage. A person who isn't trying to be scary is likely to spark curiosity and openness in their partner. When guardedness and defensiveness aren't present, at least not to excess, partners are more likely to be at ease and playful with one another. That sets a tone that's conducive to the deepening of a relationship. Seeing that a partner is willing to be vulnerable also makes positive statements about that partner's security, self-awareness, and interest in engaging. It isn't easy to make oneself vulnerable. It takes courage. To know that one's partner is willing to do that in a relationship is a testament to the confidence and safety that prevail in that relationship. 
why might someone become willing to relax their probable initial desire for independence from a partner in order to transition into interdependence? After all, such a transition comes with a relaxation of control in at least some areas of life, and it can be frightening to release control over things that we care about. First, it's important to note that becoming reliant on someone else is unlikely to happen unless that person is known and trusted. That's especially true for areas of one's life that are deemed important. In an intimate relationship, there are many such areas in which the partners share control of things that one or both consider to be important. Those might include financial matters, or decisions regarding shared sensual or sexual experiences, or decisions that affect work-life balance. If that foundation of trust is present in a relationship, the partners are able to make safe assumptions about the matters that they entrust to their partner. That can be a tremendous relief to both partners, since each of them knows that they aren't alone in dealing with life's challenges. There is strength in being able to approach life as a team. Being interdependent also allows a couple to fully leverage the respective strengths of each partner. Often, there is a complementarity of strengths, so the couple thus acquires a larger and broader toolkit with which to address life challenges. Interdependent partners also gain the benefit of some redundancy. When one partner is unavailable or unable to take on a task, such as in times of illness, the other partner may well be able to fill the gap. That reduces the number of circumstances in which neither partner is available to resolve a problem in their individual or joint lives. Finally, interdependence can simply feel good to both partners in a well-functioning, intimate relationship. It's reassuring and comforting to know that one is not alone, and interdependence very concretely demonstrates the connection between partners. Those feelings of reassurance and unity extend well beyond just the problems that confront a couple. They can also reflect the opportunities and experiences that the couple shares. As is often observed, many things are sweeter when they're shared. In our earlier explorations of how a relationship can evolve, we identified six distinct states of relationship. Seeking connection, first impressions, exploring, bonding, fading, and morphing. First impressions has to do with the attraction we may feel for someone based on our observations, but before any significant interactions with that person. In that state, people are guided by their neurological attraction subsystem, which can induce feelings of desire and physical lust. People who are in the first impression stage don't yet have any motivation to become interdependent. Relationships that mature beyond the first impression stage move into the exploring state, during which the partners interact extensively with one another. Those interactions provide information as to how satisfying and promising, or not, the relationship is. The couple can spend quite some time in that state, and they do not yet have the mutual trust and knowledge that's needed as a foundation for potential interdependence. If things progress well during the exploring state, the couple may develop an interest in becoming more deeply connected. That may play out in the form of a decision to cohabitate, or to share financial or other resources, or to spend more time together. If that happens, their relationship transitions into the bonding state. In bonding, a different neural subsystem comes into play, the attachment subsystem. Attachment underlies the nesting behaviors of many species, including humans. In humans, it's marked by a greater degree of emotional connection and investment in the relationship. It's during bonding that a couple may decide to become interdependent. Once a couple bond and decide to become interdependent, their relationship takes on a third facet. The me of each of the individual partners is joined by the co-created us. 
that us exists in a rudimentary form during the exploring phase of a relationship because of the shared experiences and the growing familiarity that the two partners share in that state. However, us truly comes into its own with the conscious decision of both partners to invest time and energy in nurturing their relationship. From that point forward, as long as the relationship remains vital, both partners continue to behave and see themselves as a unit. One might ask whether those who are lovingly connected but not in a committed relationship can be interdependent. I believe that the answer is a resounding yes, since commitment itself can vary in scope and intensity. As an example, while the term commitment is often associated with life partners, emotionally connected good friends also share some degree of commitment to one another. Such friends genuinely care about each other and they're willing to extend themselves on behalf of each other. They know that they can depend on one another for loving presence and support, even if it's not to the same extent as those who are life partners. Dear friends share some degree of interdependence. In monogamy, and in many hierarchical polyamorous relationships, bonding and interdependence create a relationship that can be considered primary in the sense that we've used that descriptor in prior episodes. Such a relationship is special. It remains an open question in my mind as to whether a person can sustain two or more core relationships with that degree of connection and emotional attachment. For any of the preceding forms of bonded relationships, though, interdependence makes those relationships stronger and more durable. To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors private Facebook group for posts and discussion and the Two Open Doors meetup group for events. I also invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors.